Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 105. I wanted to mention a save the date for an event that will be coming up next fall. It is a summit put on for NPEs. Uh, donor-conceived individuals, late discovery adoptees, for anyone in our community. It is put on by Right to Know, and it will be held next fall of 2022 in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm looking at the year-end report put out by Right to Know. They have September 22nd through September 25th of 2022 reserved in Louisville, Kentucky, for an MPE Summit, Misattributed Parentage Experience Summit. And they have written down, oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch, community, classes, food, music, podcasts, roundtables, speakers, healing, family, uh, friends, support. Okay, wonderful. Let's save the date for September 22nd through 25th for an MPE Summit I'm going to try to get there. It doesn't look like they have any more details other than that. That's all we need. And there was another thing I wanted to mention. Oh, two more things. Uh, thank you again to Severance Magazine. This is an online magazine. The editor is BK Jackson. She's amazing. And this is one of her works of art that she's put together for our community People are continuously contributing essays and articles, and she herself she herself writes articles. She actually interviewed me for a Q&A about a year ago. So if you are brand new to listening to this podcast and haven't heard this resource mentioned before, I'd really urge you to look up Severance Magazine online. They have so many great resources and, and wonderful articles. Lastly, I would like to mention that if you have listened to a podcast and have really identified with the person that shared their story, feel free to email them directly. Feel free to email that person that shared their story and let that person know how much you appreciated their story. So many times people write me the letters of appreciation and I'm just recording. And and if you if that person happened to give their direct email address, feel free to let them know. Because when we connect with each other as a community, it's really where we start to form friendships. We start to identify with each other. And not everyone is on these Facebook support groups. So just a reminder that if somebody did share their email and you really liked their podcast, their story, feel free to write them a note and let them know. Okay, and today we have an NPE sharing her story. I'm so grateful the week of Thanksgiving that that I'm having this guest on. Leona, hi. Thank you so much for, for being on today. Hi, Lily. 
So excited to be here with you. <laughs> I I really appreciate you doing this. I I know it's a little nerve wracking when you have so many months you have to wait to yep. share. And I think you're like me. You might I I get a little anxiety. So thank you, thank you so much for for prepping and preparing for today and being willing to share. No problem. Okay, so we're going to hear your story today. You share whatever you're comfortable with. And I know you, I think you have an outline. So why don't you bring us back to the beginning or wherever you want to start and let us know what your original family was like and how you found out you were an NPE. Okay. Um, So today actually is the three-year anniversary of my mother's passing. Um, I don't think you knew that (laughs) when you chose this date. Um, It's actually a perfect day to tell the story, actually, because um, I have to tell my mother's story to paint a fuller picture of my life and why I have, um, you know, more compassion than anger for the choices she made. Um, When my mother was nine, she was the oldest of four with three younger brothers And her mother dropped dead at her feet of a blood clot or a heart attack or something. I could never figure out what it was. Um, So she told me that, you know, she was, she had a lonely childhood and it was difficult growing up without a mother. She married her first husband just days after meeting him. His name was Ken. Um, I think she did it to get out of the house And Ken was in the military, so they moved around, and she had two children, my oldest brother and sister. Um, When Ken was away on duty, she met my birth certificate father, and she divorced Ken. Um, I'm going to call my birth certificate father dad (laughs) because, you know, he's the only dad I had for 49 years. So when I refer to him as dad, that's who I'm talking about. When my mother was in her late 70s, she admitted to me that she was sexually assaulted after my sister was born and Ken was away. And she was traumatized, of course. She said she fell for my dad because he made her feel safe because my dad was a real man's man. He loved to hunt and fish. He was strong and a hard worker. And I think she felt abandoned by Ken, even though he was in the military and really had no choice, um, you know, but to be away. My mother was always needy. And after being attacked, she latched on to the first man she felt could protect her. Um, I was actually astonished she told me this late late in life. Um, I just felt really terrible for that, you know, 20-year-old woman she was back then. So she had two more sons with my dad, and then I came along. I'm the youngest of five. I don't remember much from the first four to five years of my life. The few memories I have are mostly traumatic. <laughs> I don't want to make the story all about that, So, but I'm just going to touch on a few things. Um, There was one night when I could hear my parents fighting. I remember crawling in bed with my oldest brother and the police were at the house. That was the end of the marriage between my mother and dad. And my mother was a pretty bad alcoholic by then. The divorce was a dog fight and she was granted sole custody of all five kids. My oldest brother, who was 13 at the time, decided to go live with his father in Texas and I wouldn't see him again until I was 18. My mother moved the rest of us to Boston where she had grown up. So I had a wild and difficult childhood. Um, We lived in extreme poverty, on welfare, food stamps, and a rent-controlled, cockroach-infested apartment. Really, it was a ghetto, and there were many other struggling families around us. 
But in many ways, growing up in Boston was great. Um, Maybe my saving grace from all the difficulties I was dealing with at home, because Boston was my playground. And I mean, the entire city and surrounding areas like Cambridge and Brookline and Brighton and Revere Beach and Boston Harbor Islands, and even as far out as Walden Pond, because wherever the tea went, my friends and I went like a pack of wild dogs. I had fun. Well, at the same time, life was tough because my mother was a raging drunk. She was shit-faced a lot. She would drink and sober up and drink again. Her pattern was uh, a friend would come over on Friday or Saturday night, and they would play music and usually the latest album. You know, she loved Queen and Lionel Richie, and it would be all singing and laughter and fun, and then the friend would leave. And she would then go to a very dark place in her mind. She was full of self-hatred, and she was self-destructive, and she did and said terrible things. Um, She didn't work much, and she never learned to drive a car. I remember being hungry a lot, and it was pretty cold in the winter. I sound like one of those old people, like, I had to walk in the snow uphill both ways (laughs) to school. (laughs) But it really was, you know, it was a tough time for sure. Um. There were times my mother drank so much. I remember waiting outside the liquor store for it to open at 9 a.m. so she could buy more booze. And I remember seeing her hanging out with the local homeless men sitting on the curb. You know, a lot of bad things happen, but I don't need to relive those memories by talking about them anymore. So I, I really don't. I think because I was the youngest, I spent the most time with her in those days. Um, my sister's eight years older than me and was already very independent and, you know, a young teenager. She worked and had friends, and my two brothers, well, they had each other. They were always out and about. We all had to scramble to survive. Uh, I spent a lot of time with neighbors and friends. They say it takes a village to raise a child, and luckily I found a village in the neighborhood I grew up in. One neighbor in particular had a daughter my age and lived in an apartment next door. The difference between our apartments was night and day. Ours was dirty and cluttered, and theirs was clean and bright and full of art and toys and cookie jar that was always full. I practically lived there as often as I could. My friend's mother was as kind as Mother Teresa, and she showed me that the life I was living as a kid was not normal, and there was a better life out there. I also had my three uncles, my mother's brothers, who were all wonderful guys. And while they had their own lives and families, they remained close to my mother and us throughout our lives. One in particular, we called him Ankh, I grew very attached to. And became, he became like a father to me because he had no children of his own. And he really took me under his wing. So when you're a kid, you don't have much control over your life. And in my case, and in the case of my sisters and brothers, we were survivors. We went to the school of hard knocks, and we learned to be self-sufficient. I worked odd jobs from about the age of 10. Um, I made good friends who I'm still friends with to this day. And I witnessed firsthand the kindness of others towards me. I mean, I had families feed me who hardly had enough for themselves. I had a neighbor take me under her wing, and she brought me to magical places like Martha's Vineyard and crafts fairs and restaurants and weddings. I had friends let me sleep over countless times. So we became like sisters, and I wouldn't trade these lessons for anything in the world. They shaped who I am today. They're lessons in hope and human kindness. My mother, meanwhile, was a hypochondriac. (laughs) 
I suppose watching her mother die so young and so suddenly did a number on her. I always joked she was dying my whole life. I had to joke or about it or go crazy. It was just like another layer of her psychological damage. Um, when she was drinking, she had heart attacks. She threatened suicide. She attempted suicide. When she was sober, it continued with several cancer scares, the flu, eye problems, diabetes, circulation issues, blood cancer, skin cancer, mysterious growths, and on and on and on. Mm. Every phone call or visit had a new ailment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't I can't even remember everything because there were so many scares over the years and I blocked them out, I think. And on top of this, she smoked her whole life right up until the end. Um, she used all her health issues for attention. So people in her life would show love and concern and visit and call and do things for her. And this kind of pissed me off while at the same time, you know, you have to dig deep to have compassion as well over and over um, until I developed a sort of compassion fatigue, which I still have to a degree thanks to her. You know, it's really hard on a kid to worry about your mom dying all the time. <laughs> um, I understand that as humans, we're basically dying from the day we're born and we all have health scares and struggles throughout our lives that deserve loving compassion and attention from our loved ones. So I don't want to sound completely heartless here. But there are those that really exploit this natural compassion for their own benefit. And my mother was one of these people, for sure. My sister um, never uses her health issues to get attention. I really don't have any health issues myself, thank goodness. But there have been times when my sister has been hospitalized for something and she didn't tell me until like weeks later. And she'd be like, oh, I didn't want you to worry. <laughs> and, I, you know, she's like that because of her mom. As for my dad, I only saw him once a year. Um, Just my two brothers and I would go visit him since my sister and I had a different father. He and his new wife would take us to the beach for the week in the summer um, where we would fish and, you know, hang out with them. I don't have strong memories of these times with him. Um, I didn't like my stepmother when I was a kid. My mother poisoned me against her. But my stepmother was also a hard woman that I always had trouble relating to. I never saw my grandparents either. My dad's parents were alive, but completely uninterested in my life, which was another thing I couldn't figure out. And it hurt. I mean, I figured they hated my mother and I really didn't blame them for that. But I wasn't my mother. I was their grandchild. And How can you not want to know your grandchildren? So growing up, my dad never called me um, either. He didn't come to celebrate my life milestones, like when I graduated elementary school or middle school or high school. Um, I was on the swim team in high school. He didn't come to any of my swim meets. Uh, To be fair, I never had the urge to call him either. Um, I didn't feel an overwhelming sense of loss by not having him in my life, not like my brothers did. I just figured there were boys in need of a father more than I did. But in light of my NPE discovery, I think I knew on a visceral level something between my dad and I wasn't right. I remember thinking I'd rather live in poverty with this awful mother than live with my dad who was well off in a nice house in the suburbs. It's so odd to look back now and think about that eight, nine, and 10 year old making that choice in my mind with 100% conviction. I just knew I I didn't want to live with him. I remember asking my mother, why doesn't dad love me? And she said, oh, 
we got divorced when you were so young. You never had a chance to bond with him like your brothers and sister did. But I was his kid. There was no doubt in my mind about that. Why did he seem to like my sister more than me? She wasn't even his. I took my mother's explanation as truth. Like so many, we believe our mothers, and I dropped it. And also thought there was something about my me my dad just didn't like, you know, and this really hurt like hell, even though he was never mean or abusive. It was just, it was what wasn't there that I noticed the most. Um, I had a feeling I couldn't stop feeling. It was clear to me he loved my two brothers and they revered him. I always wondered how someone could have a daughter and just not reach out more than he did. He was also much closer to my sister, who he knew he wasn't the father. Now, I adore my sister, and she's very lovable, so I was never jealous of this. But it did make me wonder what my father thought was wrong with me. So when I was 16, my mother rekindled an old relationship with a guy, Mal, and they fell in love. Miracle of miracles, she got sober, and we moved out of the ghetto into a small apartment. I was in high school, Boston Public Schools, and that wasn't easy because I was still in survival independent mode, working and spending all my time with my friends, smoking pot whenever I could get my hands on it. Mom and Mal got married and spent one more blissful year together before he dropped out of a heart attack. I was there for that and also for the quick downfall of my mother who began drinking gallons of vodka again. I felt really bad for her, actually, um, and wasn't surprised she fell off the wagon. You know, instead of hating my mother for all the hell she put me through, I somehow felt bad for her. I, I could tell she was sick. I could tell, you know, she was in a great deal of pain, mentally ill, and didn't know how to fix herself. It seemed like my mother just couldn't catch a break, and she had terrible luck. Anyway, I was a senior in high school when my stepfather died, and a few months after that, she threw me out of the apartment, and I went to live with a friend, and that time was really the lowest of the low. I borrowed a dress for prom and uh, went to live with a friend, and um, my mother didn't go to my graduation, but my sister, she was there. She was always like a second mom to me. My mother almost drank herself to death. And this time, I mean, she really was almost like at death's door. And she ended up in a hospital. um, And then she somehow recovered and went to rehab. So then life changed again. Um, she She stayed sober this time and latched onto a new man, Ronnie, who she'd been friends with for a decade. She, she would stay sober for the next 30 years, Willie, and with Ronnie. They moved mm. to Maine together and started a new life. I mean, I, you know, she was just one of those people who you thought would die a drunk, but she, she somehow managed it. Wow. But as for me, <laughs> by this time, I was a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had been through the ringer. Yes, <laughs> you <was> had. <laughs> Right when my mom was cleaning up her act, I was beginning my adult life without Annette to catch me. She moved 200 miles away. Um, I didn't go to college because my senior year was hell and I didn't have any money. Um, You know, now I had to pay rent. So I worked full time. College seemed as far away as Siberia. Although I just want to say I did go to college. Eventually, I took many classes over the years. But anyway, um, 
So when I was, uh, I was 19 at that time, one of those amazing people in my life um, took me under her wing when I needed an adult and said to me, you know, I've been going to um, Al-Anon meetings, um, you know, adult children of alcoholics. Why don't you come with me to one? And this was a pivotal moment in my life. I ended up going to meetings um, for eight years, working through emotions, learning coping skills, and eventually coming out of my own, you know, messed up pain and self-centeredness and helping others if I could. I've also, you know, I've been to therapy a few times. I read countless self-help books. I saw myself as someone who, you know, deserved it. And I can't stress this enough to your listeners. There is no shame in getting help. I cannot imagine who I would be today without all those meetings, those books, you know, the kind therapist, the YouTube videos of how to pick yourself up and dust yourself off and have a good life. But especially, you know, all the friends and mentors who listened and cared and stuck with me and helped me along the way. So I spent my 20s like a ship without a sail, uh, living with roommates and working to pay rent, hanging out with friends. And when I was 24, um, at a wedding, one of my best friends, I met my husband. We began dating as soon as we met. For me, it was love at first sight. (laughs) Three years later, you know, we married and then we had a son and a daughter. I love my husband so much. He has been an amazing partner and I feel lucky every day. Um, And while we have the same struggles many couples have when they're building a life together, from moving to buying a house, finding jobs, losing jobs, raising kids, never enough money, I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. And it wasn't always easy to be with me because of my childhood, even with all the internal work I've done. During this time, my mother lived in Maine, and I would visit her all the time, not only because she was there, but because my uncle, Unc, Um, who lived as an eccentric hermit on 60 acres in Maine, just three miles from my mother, lived there too. I turned to Ankh because he was everything I thought a father should be. He was warm, attentive. He gave good advice without ever trying to change me in any way. I loved visiting him because he lived off the grid for decades. And I loved all the conversations by the fire who changed who I am today. As for my dad, he also lived in Maine and part of the time in Florida, but I rarely saw him. He never reached out, um, you know, but I wanted to be a good daughter. So I would call him on Christmas and Thanksgiving and on his birthday. And sometimes I would visit him. And when I did talk to him or visit, there was always an awkwardness there and I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) He always sent money for Christmas as a gift and his wife would send a nice gift basket And, you know, he was always nice to me, would joke with me, taught me to shoot a gun and swing a golf club. He was a gruff guy, so I always chalked it up to him just being who he is. But it was hard. I felt unloved, neglected. I just never, it just never seemed right to me that there wasn't more warmth between us or even tension from like a father's overprotectiveness of his daughter. It felt like I was just there. Okay, so anyway, the first 20 years of my life, uh, there was a lot of drama, thanks to my mother. Um, But since then, I've been lucky to live, for the most part, pretty peacefully, um, with just normal highs and lows. Um, Like I said, my husband and I have two children. They're adults, and they are the absolute loves of my life. I think my dreams came true. I always wanted the American dream. (laughs) 
um, which for me was a house and a couple of kids and a man I loved and friends and fun times and, you know, no crazy alcoholic drunks. (laughs) This is what I would dream about as a kid. And I got my wish. It may not be everyone's dream. Um, Some people want amazing careers or, you know, whatever. I just, I just wanted to get out of the hellhole I was living in. Um, And, you know, away from unusual stress that I had to deal with up until my twenties. I wanted what I felt like I missed out on, which was, you know, a normal calm life, you know, the white picket fence and the barbecues in the summer and the stockings over the fireplace and contentment. And for the most part, that's what the second half of my life has been all about. Then in 2016, um, my husband's brother tragically died suddenly. Um, Ronnie, my mother's boyfriend, longtime boyfriend died. They were together almost 30 years. Um, and my stepmother died in a tragic accident. And I thought that was a terrible year. Um, but then in 2018, Unc died. Um, my mother went downhill fast after losing Ronnie and Unc. And then she died. Um, and then just three weeks after she passed, my dad, who had been struggling since his wife passed away, well, he died too. Oh, God. It was a lot. Wow. Oh. So, so much grief. Um, how I found out I was an MPE. So the 23rd of November in 2018 was on Black Friday. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was the day my mother died. Um, she went down swinging. Um, she fought long and hard. She had two types of cancer and dementia and probably 10 other things. <laughs> Whereas one of those things would have brought any of us down. You know, she fought all of them. All of them. And it was a very difficult summer and fall for my brothers and sister and I, you know, she, you know, she loved life. Um, She really didn't want to go. And that was the hardest part. So on Black Friday, she died. And in her own dramatic fashion, when it came to health issues, dying on a day called Black Friday couldn't have been more perfect for her. I mean, if she could pick the most dramatic day on the calendar when we'd all have to hear the term Black Friday and remember her for the entire month, well, honestly, that's just the epitome of perfection. Um, and I hear her laughing at that right now, by the way, <laughs> in my mind. But two weeks before that, the last time I saw her, even though she had vascular dementia, she was lucid enough um, at times, you know, she begged me not to come back. She she didn't want anyone to watch her die. And, you know, that was so ironic um, because her whole life she loved all the attention. But this time she uh, she really, when it came down to it, did not want me to watch her die. So that was, you know, the last time I saw her. So for all her faults, um, losing my mother broke my heart, um, especially since Unc died in March. That was like losing both my parents. And then three weeks later, my dad died. Um, because at that point he was my dad, as far as I knew, well, that was, uh, a lot of death and my head kind of exploded. <laughs> um, it was a tsunami of emotions. I, I could hardly handle, um, Chris- Christmas was pretty much muted, but I did buy four ancestry DNA kits, um, for my husband, my kids and myself. I was feeling nostalgic and guilty that I didn't take greater interest in genealogy since my parents were gone and I could no longer ask them questions. Although, to be fair, I did ask them questions about their lives and their parents and the last years of their lives because I knew they wouldn't be around much longer. 
in hindsight, did I know what I would find out? Yeah, I think deep down on a visceral, nonverbal DNA level, I had a feeling. But still, in March, when I got my results, I was in the car with my husband and looking at my phone when the results said I was 50% Ashkenazi Jew. I thought, wait, oh, this, yeah, I was like, this is the example. Where's my DNA results? And I started swiping, you know, to find my results. <laughs> um. And then I realized those were my results. And I just started laughing hysterically. I was like, I'm half Jewish. I said to my husband, I couldn't make sense of it. I was, you know, so immediately when our brains can't comprehend something, I made up a story in my mind, something like, well, Meme and Pepe were supposed to be French Canadian, but I wonder if their parents, who I really knew nothing about, were Jews who fled persecution or something. So within minutes, I made up a story, and it's really amazing to look back on and see that now. I texted one of my best friends, and I told her, we're sisters. I'm half Jewish, because obviously she's Jewish and we grew up together. And we had similar eye color and hair color and, and could practically read each other's minds. And she texted me back how cool it was that I was also Jewish. And then I texted her, I wonder if I just found out my father isn't my father. <laughs> Lily, it's amazing to see that text now um, and to watch my brain completely switch off from that fact. I had been through hell over the past year and it was totally a defense mechanism. I just, I just couldn't handle it. So I laughed about it and I went with the story I made up within my mind. I even talked to my sister about this made up story. Um, what I didn't know at the time was my sister, when I told her my DNA results, she suspected right away that my dad wasn't my dad. Everybody I told did. I feel so dumb now. <laughs> um, my sister didn't tell me, though, because she wanted me to figure it out on my own. And I'm actually okay with her keeping the secret because she was right. I wasn't ready. My sister said she was going to tell me eventually, and I believe her. Um, I think she also wasn't ready to face it with me. We both needed time. I mean, we've always been half-sisters, so that wouldn't change, although we never considered ourselves half. Um, meanwhile, I reached out to a match on Ancestry that said she was a first cousin. And I thought that was weird because I know all my first cousins, or so I thought. Um, I asked how we were connected, and after a little back and forth, when I gave her you know, info about where I was born and my parents' names, she said she didn't know. But like my sister, she had her suspicions, which she didn't tell me at that time. Um, as for me, I let it drop. I was grieving. I was having a real existential crisis quietly um, in you know, the space of less than a year or three years, really. So many people had died, people I loved to see and talk with around the dinner table. And we would get together at my brother's house, especially Unc, who was the first person I always called with good news or bad news or no news at all. Uh, but just to hear his voice and his laugh. Um, so how I decided to help myself handle the stress a few months after was uh, we went away for 10 days. Um, you know, we went to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, we just rented a, a cheap room, uh, you know, through Airbnb and, you know, a cheap beat up Jeep and drove around the island for, you know, 10 days. And it was time for me to think. And when I got back from the trip, um, spring was beginning and I was more able to handle 
things. Um, you know, cause when I were driving around, I, I thought a lot about my mother. I thought about these people I loved. I, you know, I cried a few times and it was just, it was good. So anyone's really, really struggling right now, just go away if you can somewhere nice or, you know, wherever it doesn't even have to be, you just drive somewhere, drive to the beach. I mean, it's just good to get out and think about things, you know, when you need to and process what's happening and gain some perspective and heal. So a few months after my results, around 4th of July, I was um, talking to my husband's best friend who he was adopted. Um, and he actually had been searching for his birth parents for 20 years. Um, and we actually found our parents around the same time, which is just amazing. But that's a whole other story that I can't get into right now, but it was just incredible. So I'll just throw that in there. But um you know, he had done every DNA test out there and knew a lot about center organs and DNA, something I really knew nothing about. And I was telling him how weird it was that I was Jewish and my father never talked about it. And my first cousin, uh, match, um, you know, who I didn't know who it was. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, at some point you and I need to have a talk about that. Mm. <laughs> he, like my sister and this first cousin I matched with had already figured out was staring me right in the face but when he said that, something clicked in me, finally. And I reached out to um, my only female cousin on my dad's side, giving her the story I made up in my head about our grandparents being Jewish. Um, she and I don't talk often, um, but, you know, I have some fond memories of her growing up. She texted me back, Meme and Pepe weren't Jewish. Their ancestry goes back through centuries in Canada. Uh, then I knew. <laughs> I just knew. Um, the next day I reached out to that match on ancestry again. And I said, I'm starting to think my dad isn't my dad. <laughs> and she said, I have something to tell you. Can we meet? Do you know someone named Jay Edwards? Nope. I didn't know the name, but I called my sister. And when I said that name, she sucked in her breath. She knew him, had vague memories of a talk show our mother listened to daily, the uncle Jay show. She sent me a link to a biography she, that he, he had written about his life. And there he was. Everything. Pictures from his childhood to now. The whole story of his life. I messaged my DNA match that she could tell me anything, that I could handle it. I didn't want to wait to meet with her. She could just spit out the message. And so she did on Ancestry. She said, Jay is your biological father. She said she went to meet with him, and he's in shock, but he's open to talking to you. Well, my head exploded again, Lily. <laughs> when I say exploded, I mean so many emotions start running around in my brain all at once. It just turns your thoughts into scrambled eggs. You, know, mm -hmm. you know what to think first. Mm -hmm. um, but this time, mostly all I felt was joy. I, I knew this isn't the usual response to such news after belonging to you know Facebook MPE groups. Um, you know, most feel like the rug was pulled out from under them. You know, this, this is an earthquake. This is an instant loss of identity. And while this discovery runs the gamut of emotions for all of us, for me in that moment, I just, I just felt so happy because in that instance, I could finally make sense of the disconnect between my dad and I, which was so painful for me. Um, I had finally found the missing puzzle piece. Suddenly everything made sense. It was the greatest relief. Um, I was just, I don't know, relieved, excited. I didn't know what to feel or what to think. 
I read Jay's biography. I looked at his pictures. I could see myself, you know, a little. I looked more like my mother, but I could definitely see some similarities there when he was younger. Um, and I read his biography, which is an incredible thing to have as an MPE. I mean, who gets to read about their bio dad right when they find out? And even more astonishing, I could completely relate to the guy. We were so alike. I mean, our writing voices were similar, our interests, our outlooks, our beliefs. I mean, I couldn't wait to meet the guy. <laughs> I had his phone number, but I could not make the call. I, for some reason, the thought of picking up the phone and calling him terrified me. And I'm actually, I don't scare easily, but I just couldn't do that. Um, I decided, since we um, both enjoy writing, that I would send him an email. It didn't take me long to write it. Um, it was like it had been waiting to come out. It was already written in my head. Uh, just a side note, people always ask what they should say when they write to their bio dad. Um, you know, since I got to read his biography and hear his voice, I felt more comfortable sharing mine. Um, and what I wrote was uh, real. It was um, a little bit about my childhood, which I said was, quote, fucking awful. Um, and about my life now, which, quote, was pretty great. Um, and I, you know, I kept it lighthearted and funny. Um, I told him I didn't want anything from him. I, you know, <laughs> I joked around, I, I don't want carpentry work and I, I don't want bear hugs and I don't want a daddy, you know, mm-hmm. I, like, I just want to know you. And then I hit send and I didn't have to wait long for a reply. Uh, later that night, he sent me a beautiful, authentic, amazing reply that actually made me cry. So we met about a week later. Um, He lives about two hours away from me in the town I was born, actually. And I was shocked to learn that in this big, wide world where this man could live absolutely anywhere in it, his house was walking distance to where my dad's house used to be, where I would go visit him growing up. Um, (laughs) It's just incredible. Uh, At his insistence, we met alone. Um, I wanted to bring my husband for support, um, but he thought it was best that this first meeting we focus on each other without distraction. And he was absolutely right about this. I recommend it to anybody, even though you're afraid to, to be you know, alone with this person. Um, for us, it, it was the right choice. Uh, he chose a public rose garden near him, um, actually where some of my grandmother's ashes are scattered, I found out. And we met in the gazebo. <laughs> um It was a hot day in July. I was sweating. Um, The park was beautiful. It was really a perfect spot to meet. There were lots of people around, but I didn't register any of them. Um, I waited because I got there first. I did everything I could to calm my nerves. Deep breaths, calming thoughts, but it was hard. So after about five or ten minutes, there he was. I knew it was him right away because he looks like Santa Claus (laughs) in his pictures. We hugged and he sat down, and it's kind of a blur what we said to each other. Um, I remember at first it it was a little awkward and overwhelming, um, and then we kind of eased into a natural conversation um, as we walked all around the park. Um, we ended up spending three hours together. It was it was very comfortable, and one thing that struck me when we were walking side by side was I noticed how similar we were. In height, um, same body, although I'm a female um, form. Um, You know, I favor my mother, though. 
So I was actually wildly curious about the talk show he hosted for 10 years, um, the Uncle Jay show. Um, so we talked a little about that. You know, we interviewed all kinds of stars from like Judy Garland to Muhammad Ali and three presidents. And he was getting stoned with Abby Hoffman and, you know, oh, wow. dropping acid, you know, from Timothy Leary. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, his show was very popular um, at the time. And he was a shock jock, you know. Um, and then we switched to my mother. Um, he said that he was sorry, but he, um, he didn't remember my mother at all. Mm. He said, after all, it was 50 years ago in 1969. And he was smoking a lot of pot back then. That's something I want to say he, he gave up long ago, decades ago. And I did too. I smoked a lot of pot in high school, but I don't anymore. Not that it's anything wrong with that. You know, it was just something we had both done and given up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been able to piece together that my mother was obsessed, um, with his radio personality, which, you know, many women were, um, you know, he told me his radio personality is very unlike his real personality. Um, she listened to him every day on the radio and then, you know, just like, <laughs> this is like my mother, she devised a plan to show up in a studio audience um, he thinks that's probably where they met and they had a brief affair. Um, and then, you know, he never heard from her again. And actually my oldest brother remembers him being at our house when my dad was working nights, but my brother he never put two and two together either. So I'm not going to go into a lot of his story here, but you know, he was married at the time. Um, his marriage fell apart. He's told me that he was a workaholic, um, gone a lot and he made some bad decisions and he actually lost everything. He's a, he's a such an interesting guy. Um, I couldn't wrap my head around being related to him. Um, my ego was like, hell yeah, my dad is awesome. <laughs> my bio dad. But, you know, I, he talked about his life after the show, his world travels and how, you know, he's given up drugs and alcohol and various careers he's had and how he preferred not being famous. Um, at first I was focused on having a same semi-famous dad, but that faded, um, as I learned about him as a human. And those years on the radio were really just a small part of his life. So I had three half siblings, um, two from his first marriage and one from another wife where he had lived in Serbia for 10 years. And, um, since then I actually have met my new siblings and, it's wonderful. It's been wonderful. And, but, you know, in some ways it's also, uh, I posed a little bit of a challenge for me because I grew up with four other siblings and, you know, I'm close with them close in a way that only siblings who have been through war together, um, can be, you know, our mother's illnesses bonded us in a way where only we knew what we had survived together. And I just want to say the siblings I grew up with have been awesome. Um, They have said that nothing between us has changed. um, And being half to the brothers I shared the same dad, I thought I shared the same dad with, doesn't matter to them at all. Um, Kind of feels weird to me. But um, my new siblings, they all have history, um, some issues with bio dad. Um, You know, he had his problems over the years. Um, What I do know is, 
he is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And I'm not saying that because he's listening to this and he told me I needed to mention what a handsome, wonderful man he is. Ha ha ha. Um, because my history with Jace, you know, began in July, 2019, and I don't judge him for anything that came before that, um, when I wasn't around. So, um, you know, since I've known him, you know, he's been great and I'm actually almost glad we got to skip all the parenting bullshit and go straight to friendship as adults. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like many MPEs, I'm more in the time we lost together, 49 years. He's 80 now. He's in great shape. Although, you know, in a sense, the timing was perfect. After my parents and unk died when I was missing and longing for them, a whole new family dropped into my lap like a spectacular life bonus. It feels like it was meant to happen just as it did, exactly as it unfolded. But still, I can't help but imagine what my life would have been like if I had known my biological father, who I'm so clearly like. Sometimes I look at our lives as if I'm watching a movie montage running parallel to each other, his life in the 60s and 70s and me growing up in the 70s and 80s, both of us smoking pot, listening to the same music, um, you know, dancing, both love dancing and traveling, even though he's traveled a lot more than me. The synergy of our lives running side by side but never meeting, it's uncanny. Is it a great loss that we didn't know each other until now? I I don't know, because I can't fathom a different life than the one I've had, um, the life that made me who I am today. But here's what I think. Um, Humans are always telling themselves stories. Admittedly, I had a pretty wretched childhood, but I'm very protective of how I tell my story, because I'm the one who has to live in this body with this mind. And I'm always going to try, even if I don't always succeed every single day, but I'm going to try to spin the story towards the positive and the optimistic and the lesson learned towards the funny and the hopeful and towards love. You know, as humans, I've learned we have a strong negativity bias and survival instinct, and I'm really no exception. Um, I mourn the loss of those years with this man. I am angry at my mother sometimes for the hurt she caused. Sometimes I wish things could have been different, but, you know, I don't live in those thoughts any more than I have to. I feel them, I acknowledge them, and I give those thoughts space to exist in the whole picture. We do have some control, although sometimes just a little, of how we tell this story to ourselves. The hurt and the pain is valid, but there are many ways to think about things. Um, And with practice, our stories evolve over time. Like mine, for example, I must have written and rewritten this a dozen times. And this version is miles away from the first one. (laughs) And I call that progress. (laughs) Um, So my mother was mentally ill, undiagnosed bipolar and an alcoholic. Uh, She was a severely wounded human being. And yes, she did a number on me. She was abusive and neglectful. But there were times, many, many times, when she was very loving, funny, helpful, and compassionate. She cooked many meals, and she knitted, and she made quilts. She gave gifts. She adored her grandchildren. I remember those times and try not to dwell on the times where she was, you know, drunk and abusive or even sober and abusive because, you know, she she was like a sad, wounded animal, Uh, especially in the end when she had dementia and she would rage at us. 
But from this, you know, I learned compassion. Um, you know, as children, we take everything personally, but our mother's deep faults have nothing to do with us. Um, I was able to keep my mother in my life by allowing myself to love her and hate her sometimes. Um, there were times we would talk on the phone as best friends because she was very intelligent, um, well-read. She could give good advice. Um, and then there were times she would be toxic and negative, And I would have to say, I can't talk to you when you're like this, mom, and hang up on her. <laughs> um, but I would call her again, you know, a week, a month, whenever, later. And it was as if nothing had happened. And this is just what she was like. She was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, there's no question she messed me up in some ways, but you know, I'm not going to perpetuate the cycle with my own children and I haven't. So, um, why didn't she tell me about Jay? Okay. This is going to get a little weird. Um, (laughs) this is a question many of us struggle with, uh, for a variety of reasons. I can only speculate, but, um, because of the book my mother wrote, I believe I have her answer. So my mother wrote a book. It was called The Adultery Game, um, which was published in 1974 and sold just a few thousand copies. It was total garbage. Um, She wrote it with a girlfriend as a how-to book for bored housewives. Um, (laughs) Really? How to have affairs. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, I'm not even sure I read the whole thing. you know, cover to cover. I, I remember coming across it when I was young, probably a teenager and flipping through it and then tossing it aside. And my sister actually gave me a copy she found on eBay a few years ago, uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, for Christmas one year as a joke. Ha ha ha. Look what I found. And even then I didn't read it. <laughs> I just stuck it on a shelf. <laughs> For me, it was a reminder of a horrible time um, when my parents fought viciously and violently and then divorced. Um, I heard about my mother's affairs uh, when she was married, but never once did I consider I might be someone else's kid, Um, even though it was right there in front of me the whole time. Well, when I found out about Jay, I ran to find that on my bookshelf. And while most of it is fiction and embellishment, Um, I found a segment on what to do if you get pregnant. Oh, wow. Yep. Now, um, this book is really cringy. Um, (laughs) It's so degrading to women. Um, And in a way, like, you know, they have their place in a man's world. It's just just really cringy. Sure. Um, But in this chapter, I could hear my mother's voice clear as a bell. Um, She wrote, quote, Um, A couple of years ago, one of my friends, Lucy, had the misfortune of becoming pregnant by her playmate. What would you have done? Confessing the truth, she would have lost everything. So she said nothing and had the child. She made the best of a situation that could have been disastrous. Fatherhood is more than just a biological act. Almost any man can father a child, but it takes a real man to be a father. To Lucy, the child is the personification of the love she felt for a truly fantastic man, and part of him will be hers forever. End quote. So that explains a lot. Um, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of mothers felt this way back then that DNA doesn't matter. Um, they only saw the father as the one who sticks around to, to raise a child. Um, 
And for many um, who adore and have a close relationship with their birth certificate fathers, this is truth. But for others like me, um, who always felt the disconnect, DNA kind of mattered a lot. Um, Also, when this book came out, my mother told my dad nothing in the book was true, that she wrote it just for fun to make money. Well, he read the book and understandably freaked out. I mean, especially the part about pregnancy. And that's when they had their big fight. And that's when the police came. And that's when their marriage ended. So yeah, did my father know? People always ask me that. Yeah, he probably suspected, you know. And when I think of him, you know, reading that, my mother broke his heart. I mean, he was an honorable man. He was a real man. And he never once said anything to me. He was never hurtful, only somewhat neglectful and emotionally detached. But now I completely understand why. And I wish, you know, we had both known the truth. I would have softened towards him, I think. Um, I, I would have been able to drop the pain that there was always seemed to be this canyon between us we couldn't get across. Um, I would have seen that he tried the best he could with a damaged heart by the betrayal of my mother. It would have changed my whole perspective, probably for the better, and maybe his too. As for my mother, um, she adored me in her own way. I think she was really happy she had Uncle G's kid. I always thought we were close because I was the youngest, the baby of the family. And while she loved and tortured um, all her kids equally, she loved us all equally, but differently. Our bond was a little different, and I could see that now. I think she, in her mind, really loved Jay. She was at least obsessed with him. Um, She listened to him on the radio all those years, and she probably called his show and wrote him letters. She was very much like that. So I think scoring (laughs) an affair um, with him played into her fantasy dream world, I guess. And then having his kid, well, you know, she wasn't acting like a psycho. She did treat me as if I was special to her in some way. The question I get asked a lot is, did you know? I get this asked by my own siblings as if I had some inside knowledge they didn't get. Um, no, she, my mother took the secret to the grave. In fact, on her deathbed, um, she and my father, my dad, who I grew up with, spoke on the phone. Um, I wasn't there, but my sister and brothers were all on speaker when she said goodbye to um, my birth certificate father. He was in poor health, too. And um, She also said uh, to him, we had three beautiful children together. My sister told me this. So no, the thought never came into my head that maybe my dad wasn't my father. Not once. Um, You know, but just because I didn't form the words in my mind doesn't mean I didn't know on a subconscious level. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. I have a couple more points to make and then I'm done. (laughs) No problem. You're fine. Okay. Um, The first one is about ethnicity. So I went to a beautiful luncheon that some of my new family held for me after I met Jay. Uh, They were first cousins once removed, three sisters. One of them was the woman I matched with on Ancestry who helped me find out who I was. Um, And just a quick shout out um, to to her and all the people out there caught in the middle of some stranger reaching out (laughs) and them having to help us understand the formerly unfathomable. (laughs) Um, I couldn't hug this new cousin enough for all she did for me. Anyway, I just felt so welcomed by them. Um, I truly loved meeting them all. And one of them asked me, how did you feel when you found out you were Jewish? 
this felt like kind of a pointed, loaded question. Um, I answered that, well, one of my best friends is Jewish and Boston has a large Jewish community. So it was something I grew up with. And I've always been horrified and obsessed with the Holocaust, which is true. I've probably watched Schindler's List five times before I ever knew I was Jewish. Um, But what I want to say is um, I never really got that Jewish was an ethnicity. I always thought of it as religion. I don't know Mm -hmm. why I never made the connection because, you know, Jewish people didn't seem any different in my mind than Christians or Catholics, which are not ethnicities. Um, I was raised as an atheist. Um, I've always thought uh, anti-Semitism was pure stupidity, um, as all tribalism is. It's a big problem throughout the world um, and throughout history. So I shy away from stuffing humans in the categories like that. Um, But once, uh, you know, since I am half Jewish, I'm totally okay with being part of this, you know, incredible, tragic, wonderful, triumphant history. Um, And, you know, what I have trouble wrapping my head around is having to now wonder and maybe even worry a little that whoever I meet, wherever I travel to, do I have to be careful who I tell my ethnicity to because of stupid anti-Semitism? I don't get that. Um, it pisses me off, actually. It always did before I got my DNA results. So uh, another point I want to make um, is about sharing my story with family and friends when I, when I found out I was an MPE. I couldn't shut up about it. I told everyone, my hairdresser, my eye doctor, random strangers, as well as all the people in my life. I had zero shame about it uh, because this is not my fault. Um, I believe in telling the truth, even if it throws my mother under the bus. Uh, I felt a little dismay from a few older relatives who may have kept their thoughts private about me sharing my news. But, oh, well, (laughs) one of them even said, well, it's great you could talk about it now because back in the day, no one would have. Yeah. Okay. Back in the day when the people were screwing around and popping out babies, God knows who the fathers were without a second thought about consequences felt by those babies 50 years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank goodness we aren't back in the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> um, about new family. I was on such a high, especially after all the losses I suffered before finding my biological father. I was thrilled to find out I had, you know, two new sisters and a brother and nieces and nephews and cousins and second cousins and a new stepmother and a father. And so for the first year, I did meet um, many of these wonderful people, including all my siblings. I have seven total now. Um, But, you know, and absolutely everyone has been amazing and welcoming, non-judgmental, warm. But, you know, I'm finding as time passed, uh, I'm starting to face some challenges. Um, It's just not the same as the siblings I grew up with. And, uh, you know, in some ways we're we're very different. Um, I was coming into a new family with fully established life of my own, one that wasn't built around including them in it or they, me and theirs, you know. Um, where I fit in this new family and where they fit in mine is something I'm still sorting through. Um, all my new siblings live very far away um, and, you know, we're very different people in some ways. Um, the one bond that has grown stronger is with my bio dad. He's been all in from the get-go. And what other bonds form or continue to form or not form at all will take time. And I've had learned to be okay with that. 
and just go with the flow. Um, you know, but it's brought up some emotions and some anxiety and, you know, I just take it day by day. So regarding the support of loved ones, for anyone new to this discovery, cut the people in your life some slack if they don't understand what you are going through. The only people who get what you're going through is us. <laughs> and that has to be okay for now. Um, my husband has been wonderful as well as my adult kids um, who took this all in stride, by the way. A new grandfather? Cool. Um, I tend to think children react the way re- we react. So I tried to play it, you know, kind of cool. Um, as for your brothers and sisters, they may not want to talk about it as much as you do or know what to say to you. I received all the well-meaning words when I found out that your dad is still your dad and you are still you. I even um, bought into it for a time. But uh, if you are struggling with this now, it's just another layer we go through. Um, Be as kind as you can to others who just don't get it. Um, Or even those who may be shut down and awful about it. They don't get it. They just don't. Uh, We are entitled to know where we come from and to wrap this new revelation into our story. What has changed so jarringly and significantly? Um, You know, it's immoral to expect NPEs to hide this information. I know every situation is different, and there are a lot of not-so-emotionally-intelligent people everywhere who are going to be beasts about us voicing our discoveries. So do what you need to do for you. For me, um, super strong, and I can handle others' misguided opinions. I think growing up the way I did with a mother who was who she was gave me an incredible edge. The difference is, um, it's not that I don't care what people think because I'm only human. I care very much. It's that I know I can't control what other people think. That's their responsibility, not mine. I mean, how much free will do people really have to respond to this? I'm unsure. We don't choose our what family is or where we grow up or what country we're born into or what religion or, in my case, lack of it. We don't choose what happens to us, what schools we go to, what step-parents we get, what genes we're born with, and we certainly didn't choose to be an MPE. We can't even choose our next thought. (laughs) It just bubbles up. Um, My mother was a hot mess, but I'm sure she would have chosen to be something different if she could have. So go easy on yourselves um, and on the people in your life if you can, because the only thing you can count on is good luck or bad luck. And nothing ever stays the same. Life is all about change. So that's my story, Lily. (laughs) Oh, Leona. Thank you so much for your words. I really am just so grateful this week that I got to get your story on Thanksgiving week. And I suppose I should ask if people wanted to get in touch with you, could they do that? Sure. Okay. So let's, um, what would work best for you? Email? Yep. My email is um, L-E-O-N-A-I-A-N at me.com. So Wonderful. Leona Ian at me.com. And I, I just want to say um, this Thanksgiving week, Lily, I especially want to thank you for, you know, turning your own pain and struggle into something so incredible that helps so many. It's really a testament to who you are as a person. So thank you. Um, your podcast has helped me so much listening to others that I'm 
really glad I get to, you know, raise my voice in the chorus and, and hopefully mine reaches those who need to hear, you know, what they need to hear. Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.